This is a podcast from WSUM. This is WSUM Madison Student Radio. I'm Quentin, WSUM's program director. You're listening to Sid's Music Desk. This episode features Alan Palomo. Alan Palomo has been a force in the world of electronic music for over a decade, releasing three critically acclaimed LPs as the frontman of Neon Indian. Now Alan Palomo has gone solo with his first album in nearly a decade, World of Hassle, releasing September 15th on Mom and Pop. With the star-studded cast of guest features, including Mac DeMarco on Nudista Mundial 89 and Flor Benguigui of L'Emperatrice on Moutrier, World of Hassle is shaping up to be one of the best releases of 2023. Departing from the usual sonic stylings in Neon Indian, World of Hassle features fresh production that puts an analog yet modern twist on the classic Neon Indian sound. I recently had the chance to chat with Alan Palomo, and we discussed his name change, the art that inspires his work, the genre of boogie, and his future plans in the world of music and beyond. Hope you enjoy. This is Sid's Music Desk. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is uh, Alan Palomo, otherwise known as uh, Neon Indian. Uh, but for the for the time being, for the first time, uh, putting out a record simply as myself, simply as Alan. Has your sound changed in the process of that name change at all? I think so. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's funny. I I had what I thought was going to be a fourth Neon Indian record maybe about 70% done. And uh, I just wasn't, I kind of burnt myself out on it. For some reason, it just, it wasn't quite clicking. I was trying to make this whole concept album and it, and it just kind of got lost in the weeds with it. There's also kind of an ill-advised tour that was just wedged right in the middle of the sessions. So when the pandemic started and deadlines just kind of disappeared, I just decided I would, I would write something else, you know, kind of just start these little exercises. The main thing that happened was, you know, everybody kind of had their little pet project during COVID. And I think mine was, um, you know, bought a piano and learned how to sight read. And from those sessions, I think that, you know, the, the music that would eventually become World of Hassle started to take form in large part because I think that with Neon Indian, it had always been so texturally driven, you know, it was always very like heavy on the production. And I just kind of had this thought of like, well, they know you can program a synth. You know, like you've been you've been doing that for uh, you know for for quite a long time at this point. Like, what haven't they heard you do yet? And you know, I decided to kind of really lean into um, the composition and the songwriting aspect of it. You know, which I think before the vocals had always been kind of buried, or it was hard to understand what I was saying. And, and this time, it's kind of more on the front and center. I think too, it'll be really cool. It feels like almost a new audience is going to get to experience it. I remember. I was a really, really big fan back in high school, both Neon Indian, but also I remember I really loved the song Holidays by Miami Horror. And I remember in the oh, guest yeah. features, Alan Paloma. And I was like, who's Alan Palomo? And I like looked it up and I was like, that's Neon Indian. I thought that was so cool. And I feel like there's going to be that whole situation happening again with the release of your new album, which I think is really awesome. I mean, you know, I, my my theory is like when you've been around for a decade, it's not necessarily that people haven't heard of you. It's like at some point or not, they've they've sort of you know decided if they were going to, to kind of latch onto the narrative or the music wasn't for them or or it was for them. But I think when you kind of you know change it up and and sort of repackage it and change directions, like it gives people kind of an opportunity to quote unquote discover a new artist, which obviously comes with its challenges. I mean, I think it would have been a lot easier promotionally to just say like there's a new neon indian album coming out especially it's 2023 when like i'm kind of experiencing my first sort of cycle of like uh oh like the, the stuff you were into when you were younger is back in vogue again so in this moment of like indie sleaze like yeah it would have probably paid better to to um to just put out you know the fourth neon indian album but it's just kind of not where my head's at and and uh and it's definitely you know tr trying to get the algorithm to to notice 
is is its own thing that like didn't exist the last time I put out an album. So I've been acclimating to that, but it's all like long-term work, you know, it's, I mean, it always feels like, where would this be in, in like the libretta of your life? And and, and where would you want to be 15 years from now? And, and do you still want to be Neon Indian then? Or would you rather build something now? So this is kind of, you know, the first sort of steps towards something like that. That makes total sense. I know here at the station, uh, we are we are big fans of the Indie Sleeves revival. Uh, we're actually working oh, right yeah. now on our, uh, we have an online station here parallel with our FM. And uh, that's actually going to be one of the categories we're making. So we're definitely going to add some Neon Indian to there. So it'll be very fun. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, I've, I see it on like the Spotify playlist. It's funny because I, I felt like I had just missed that party when I, yeah. when I finally put out Psychic Chasms. Like Bloghouse was in decline. And the next thing, which would, you know, kind of, I guess, would be like Chill Wave and Vaporwave and all the music that kind of started happening in the 2010s. You know, it's funny to now, you know, in the in the blur of time, it's like, oh, yeah, it was all part of that, you know. But it's like, dude, I wish I would have been at some of those like early Ed Banger parties or, oh my God, or, yeah. or New York, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, DFA record parties and mm -hmm. stuff like that. Do you want to talk about how your creative process looks like when you're making new songs? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny. Before Neon Indian, it was always kind of like, you know, you start with this 16 bar or you start with like a little little loop, you know, it might be a bar or two and then eventually it kind of grows into like a four bar, eight bar. It's just kind of this expanding circle. And eventually you kind of, you can start sort of segmenting different parts of it and playing with a sequence. And then you've kind of got something like a song. But this time around, it was a little bit more like sit at the piano and kind of try to compose a song and like let your let the vocals kind of steer the direction of the 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 melody and, and the chords and stuff like that. But obviously, like, I don't know, it's kind of like, a, I would say making a record can feel a lot like, I mean, it's a lot like any other kind of like, like writing, like I know Paul Thomas Anderson has this, he quotes it from somebody. So I guess I'm quoting it from him, quoting it from somebody, but he, he sort of describes like writing a script as like uh, ironing a shirt where like and with each pass, you kind of go out a little further each time, but you're like re-ironing like the passage you've already been on and just kind of like flattening it just a little bit further. And I, I, I think that for me, like I, I tend to kind of put so many layers as the months sort of roll on and I'm, I'm getting you know closer to what feels like the finish line. And I used to kind of do that to not to an overkill. I think that was just the, there was a maximalism around like, you know, like a record like Vega or, or, or even I mean, even on Eric Strong, you know, there's I like kind of dense sounding records, but I really wanted to kind of really sort of hone in on the sequencing this time around and make sure that like when something stands out, you know, or pops out at you, it's not competing with other things. It's like, I, I really tried to kind of like toe this line between still kind of doing my, my synth stuff, but not, you know, not, not drawing attention away from like the, the core appeal of the song, I guess. Does anything beyond music influence your, your work on your new album? Big time. I mean, I, I always have to be kind of carefully curating what I'm watching, what I'm listening to, when I'm working on something, because it inevitably will make its way into the work. You know, I, so I definitely I don't listen to new music at all when I'm working. I just I, I don't. I, it's too tempting or subconsciously like I would be afraid to like, you know, uh, steal a snare sound or something. Uh, and maybe, maybe that's to a detriment because it might it might make the music more relevant to be like actively listening to what's out there. But, um, but, you know, at the end of the day, like, I'm really just trying to amuse myself. So, you know, like with writing, I learned on the last record that kind of sitting down for, for an hour and, and, and doing, you know, reading something kind of puts you in the lyrical state of mind. And in the last record, uh, I was definitely listening, or I was, I was definitely reading a lot of uh, Martin Amos. I think I was reading this book called Money. It's just kind of his sort of like sleazy, nocturnal kind of New York story, which inevitably 
you know, helped sort of with the a lot of the, the lyrical accoutrements of, of, of stuff in Vega. But this time around, like, I mean, I was reading a couple things. I was reading like Thomas McGuine, this book of his called Panama, that, that really is just sort of like the ultimate like bummer in paradise kind of book. Like I really, I, and that, that re I really wanted to strike that tone with this album. But also just uh, like, uh, what is it, Jay, Jay McIrney. Uh, I mean, literally Club People is like kind of a, uh, there's, there's a line in there that references a line that's both in the book, Bright Lights, Big City, but also in the film adaptation where I think it's, um, Keeper Sutherland says something like, because where you aren't is always funner than where you are. And uh, and I just, you know, I tried to kind of capture that sort of feeling of it, you know, just because so much of the aesthetics of the record, whether visually or, or, or um, sonically, is, is kind of informed by this this sort of sophisticated pop of like the late 80s and, and, and a lot of like the erotic thrillers from that era were like, mm -hmm. Who would it be like like Adrian Lynn films that aren't necessarily even good films? They're just like fascinating and they and and and, and yeah, like Nine and a Half Weeks is a very silly movie, but the vibe, mm -hmm. you know, the the soundtrack, you know, they're, they're like banging in a clock tower to like Brian Ferry's Slave to Love, and it's like <laughs> pouring rain, and it looks like a fashion, like a perfume commercial, yeah, like yeah. it's yeah, just the, the the essence of that was what I was kind of interested in in capturing, and I think that Jay McIrney's books like uh you know like that one or, or brightness falls definitely have that vibe to it do you have any dream collaborations like in the world of music or beyond maybe like a wong kar wai directed music video something like that oh my god yeah i mean you know uh, pedro almodovar if you're listening i'd love to to have you direct a music video um yeah i mean musically it's uh i mean musically i've been lucky because there's not you know there, there's not a lot of people living at this point you know that i that i would be a uh, you know, wanting to uh, to hit up to collaborate just because uh, I, I don't know. I mean, this is the first record that I even kind of reached out to anybody and 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 had collaborative vocals. Uh, it's mm -hmm. funny. I I got to I got to see the Flaming Lips a couple weekends ago. Um, I DJed with the opening for them, and I hadn't seen those guys in years. And it, it, I was reminded of the fact that like back in like 20, 2010, that I did an EP with them. It was just kind of a yeah. thing we did in like a weekend, um, which is really insane. So, I mean, that already was kind of like, you know, with music, I've already, I've taken so many boxes of things that I've wanted to do and, and sort of moving forward, it starts kind of looking more like wanting to, to do more in, in, in film. And, and, you know, obviously there's actors that come to mind and, and, you know, like Griffin Dunn, that's like an actor, whether in a music video or just having him do spoken word stuff on a record. I don't know. I just, I think that dude's amazing. So. Yeah, let me turn on the lights real quick in here. They like are oh, yeah, on a timer. Yeah, yeah, I noticed it. Yeah, they like they're really spotty too because I think our sensors blocked. Perfect. Our sensors like blocked. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Very silly. It turned when into it a Blumhouse on. movie in there. For it a it turned yeah, a little was, scary in little... here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Talking about collabs, uh, Flory Benguigui of Nemperatrice, they feature on Moutier, and you've talked in previous interviews about how much you like the music that's coming out of Paris at the moment. Uh, do you want to talk about any of your favorites coming out of that scene, whether it's some more recent stuff or some of the stuff in the past? Well, what I've really been liking about it uh, is that, you know, they, the French touch influence is there. Obviously, they're always going to kind of be standing on the shoulders of like, you know, Daft Punk and and Alan Brax and Fred Falk and and obviously, you know, everything that came to air, uh, Sebastian Tellier, Phoenix, like all these incredible bands. But now it's like the funk doesn't, it's not sample derived. Like they're just mm -hmm. shredders, you know? And, yeah. and Lewis of Man is one of those guys. Lewis of Man, amazing. Getting, I mean, I, I got to see him live recently and he was just, yeah, he's just up there on that mini mode, just destroying. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously bands like La Femme as well, 
there's a really cool record label called uh, DKO Records mm -hmm. uh, that have this uh, these guys Mazig um, that do like really kind of like uh, you know really like adrenaline fueled kind of sped up. It's almost like Gabber meets French Touch. It's really wild. It just seems like there's a really kind of vibrant little scene right now uh, in in Paris, and and I I'm definitely trying to make a trip sometime in the next year to to see it with my own eyes. I know something that was coming to mind when I was listening to the singles, um, the saxophone. And I was thinking uh, with Dabul, with uh, his saxophonist, Ferdy. I don't know if you've heard of Dabul much, um, but no, definitely no. Was, was feeling that kind of vibe when I was hearing the stuff. Well, I was going to say the uh, the sax player on this record was uh, was this guy, Ian, who played the sax solo in M83's Midnight City. I've, I've oh, known him a long so cool. time. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, he's a good dude. Uh, and he used, you know, I, I met him on tour because he would go out there and just be, you know, everybody loves a sax man on stage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so we're definitely, we're bringing him on the road. Um, I mean, this there, there would be no way we could perform this record without the sax. Mm -hmm. So uh, so yeah, he's uh, he was definitely like an MVP on this record for sure. Do you have any favorite sax parts on any songs, any favorite saxophonist, favorite type of saxophone, anything like that? I mean, you know, love a good baritone sax scronk. Uh, but I would say um, on this, well, on this record in particular, there's a song that's not out yet. That's uh, I think going to kind of be the focus track. That's maybe like, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's it, it'll resonate differently with everybody, but it's like one of my favorite songs I've I've ever written. Maybe, maybe my favorite song I've written. Just I was just really kind of happy with how it all kind of came together. And it's not even really like, uh, it's not a super like bloated production track, but Ian ripped this solo where I, I just asked him, I was like, you know, he was like, well, give me a little direction. I was like, your saxophone is dying. These are its last words. What does it say? And then we hit record and then that's what he did. And we just, we kept that take. Yeah. I'm excited to hear that. I heard you perform a set in Chicago last year, Young Bay's tour. And uh, you were my favorite set there. And my favorite moment in the oh, set awesome. was when you were looping More Spell on You by Eddie Johns, the sample to One More Time. Oh yeah, has yeah. the sound of like late seventies, early eighties disco and boogie inspired World of Hassle at all? Yeah, I mean, you know, in in particular, I would say that like uh, there's a certain like subsect of that where it's like you know the intersection between like disco and then kind of more like kind of yacht rock stuff, which is really sort of the mm -hmm. origins of like Balearic music. You know, mm -hmm. you get a lot of singles from that era. And what I love about that stuff is that you still get all these kind of really wild sort of chord changes and 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 stuff that, that that starts to kind of bleed into dorkier like steely dan jazz zones but i love that stuff i mean mm -hmm. I, I yeah I, I love that kind of um uh I, I love towing that line and obviously there's so many great japanese records that kind of oh, yeah, you know sure. took that even further and really just sort of found this intersection between like yacht rock and disco and then like fusion elements like a lot of key changes so obviously, like you know, Hiroshi Sato's Awakenings was like a, a big influence mm -hmm. on this record, mm -hmm. it, primarily because of the um, just the way that he programs the Lindrum. Like it's such a funky. Mm -hmm. I've never there's no other record where the Lindrum sounds like that, and it's just because he programmed it like a drummer, like a fusion drummer would be playing yeah. it, you know. Yeah. And I I had to borrow Max uh, 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 LM1 to learn to figure out like so what did he do? And the answer probably slowed it down programmed all the fills kind of on the slower side and then sped it back up and you get these really insane like flams and you know just suddenly it's like you have like a lindrum fusion record um but also like i mean you know another dude that was like kind of towing that line um was like bobby caldwell 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that I'm such a fan. Uh, yeah. There's a really amazing performance where he's like, it's for some radio station in LA. It's, you know, the first time he's barely put together a band for, and he's, he's performing like what I won't do for love. And he's just, you know, the, the outro is like six minutes long. It's so mm-hmm. hammy, but it's, but amazing, but amazing. So there was, yeah. there was a lot of that kind of going on because he, you know, there's, you, you start to kind of get like songs like La Madrileña or something where you have definitely like a boogie type drum beat uh, and you're, you're trying to play with that kind of like swung out style. You know, that was definitely just kind of lifted out of, uh, honestly, like the, the most boogie stuff on this record was, was mostly just like, and part of the reason why I, you know, I wanted to reach out to Fleur um, was just, you know, during the pandemic, I'd just been amassing a ton of French disco records and, mm-hmm. and, and they really kind of like took the disco formula and then same as the Japanese kind yeah. of elevated you know, a lot more uh, complexity in the chords and arrangements. And, and um, I mean, not that American disco didn't have that. Mm-hmm. Obviously now Rogers is, was sneaking like, you know, for sure. like John Coltrane voicings yeah. and stuff into chic songs. Um, but, um, but just the general vibe of like French disco mm-hmm. you know, has been mm-hmm. something that, that is, largely informed um this record i love just like the renaissance of disco in france with uh l'imperatrice on um on takosubo i mean certainly my album of the year for 2021 you have all your stuff with like like break bot and like oh it, it's it's wonderful it's wonderful do you have any sort of deep cuts from that uh, 70s 80s era of city pop yacht rock boogie um yeah let's see uh well here in my record collection Sweet. it's so funny i recently i brought a i accidentally left uh my definitely probably gonna have one of these lying around i recently took a, a bunch of um records to new york because i was a i dj'd a lot radio and it was all french records mm-hmm. and then i had a day uh in the studio with a, a friend of mine with dan dan lapatin so and i accidentally left my records there so he still has most of my french records but what i do have uh is um Plenty of Brazilian boogie records, mm-hmm. and I've been really like getting into this guy Lincoln uh, Lincoln Olivetti. You know, he's like he's kind of like a hit doctor. He's like, I felt I feel like he's like the Brazilian Marauder, um, just because you know if you needed a hit, if you needed a bop, like you would go to that dude, and his whole specific thing was like boogie and synthesizers. So it's like he produced records for like Tim Maia and that 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 Marcos Valle record. Oh yeah, knows, like Estellar, yeah. this artist Rosanna. I think it was there was one even for like uh George Ben. But well, anyway, this the my favorite that's kind of a deep cut is this one, uh this uh Newton drink water. That's it's funny because on the on the artwork he literally puts his ID to prove that that's his real name. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um the track I think is uh is Macaco Pesado. Uh, I'll send it to you, but it's just like yeah. it as far as like his whole boogie style, it's like my maybe the best iteration of it and it was just for some guy that only put out this like novelty single and never did like another record but but in general like going to you know you could just go to discogs and like go down this rabbit hole of like everything he's produced and it's yeah. it's all got his vibe it's so good yeah. yeah that's awesome yeah i uh i definitely do the same thing and yeah i'll have to check that out i think that that sounds wonderful with with that name it can't be it can't be bad oh uh, dude yeah lincoln olivetti like get out it. it's, yeah. it's amazing so stay at home DJ, one of my favorite songs of the year. Where do you draw the line at what is and what isn't a DJ? I mean, the joke of that song is just like, yeah, like, you know, so long as there's an ox chord. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, uh, I mean, the joke, the joke is also kind of playing around with this idea of like, 
you know, you see the memes now. I think, you know, there was, who was it? It's like some girl like crying, just being like, what does the DJ actually do? <laughs> uh, and it's, it's become, I'm realizing that like these days it's, it's definitely more, it's more curatorial. I mean, it, there was that threat even like a decade ago. I remember I talked to like a track about it. And he was like, yeah, I mean, like as somebody who's like a, you know, a scratch champion, like I don't think he feels really threatened by it because he's also a great curator, but, um, but that's, it's kind of exclusively what it was for a long time because you know, you get, once you get record box on your CDJs and you just hit, you know, uh, uh, you just hit match, mm -hmm. um, and it automatically like matches the tempo. So you're really just crossfading and I'm not necessarily mad at that. I don't use record box just because my CDJs are, are too old. So like I still, uh, beat match it by a year, but it's not like an accomplishment, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's ultimately like if you have an ear, uh, for tempo, it's not a difficult thing to master. And the same thing with vinyl. But I think that now that we're sort of demystifying a lot of that, and then now a lot of DJs are just being replaced by AI bots. You know, I think it's it's very difficult to draw the line at, at what the literal definition of a disc jockey is, mm -hmm. uh, which is, you know, somebody who's playing records. Mm -hmm. um, but I also don't have any kind of like hangups about, you know, people um, DJing vinyl or not. I like doing it at home. You know, because it's just it's therapeutic. It's I like being a DJ because it puts me in this place where I'm I'm always voraciously having to hunt for new music, um, which informs what I'm doing always. But you know, I'm not gonna like throw shade at somebody that you know wants to hog the aux cable and you know on a, on an Uber ride to a to a party or something. Yeah, I was gonna say like majority of DJs at our station they don't play vinyl or mix, but they'll still go by DJ. So. Yeah. Funny yeah, stuff. yeah. Well, I mean, I guess yeah. that that if you are a personality too, if you're if you're you know like you're literally in front of a microphone, that maybe is the last, the 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 the, the dying, uh, you know, the last official form. It's like how anybody can kind of just call themselves anything, like mm -hmm. you on their Instagram or you know like on a on a dating site or something. It's just like uh, you know filmmakers slash DJ slash model slash influencers yeah. slash whatever you know slash producer slash musician uh slash graphic designer and to but my litmus test is always like i don't think you're any of those things until somebody pays you to do it yeah i think you can't officially have the title until you're paid to do it uh so i would say that if, if someone pays you to dj you can safely call yourself a dj if someone pays you uh you know and, and right now i mean you're you're in front of a microphone in the way that you know it's like uh, back dating back to American graffiti and the you know the, uh, the with the Wolfman, you know, like you're still doing the thing that they do, which is you know you announce the song, you're curating the material, mm -hmm. and that that to me is you know fundamentally a, a DJ even before it, it was recontextualized into somebody that plays dance records, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so fun, uh, just like the whole theme of stay at home a DJ, just getting in front of the ox and kind of forcing your music taste on other people. It's a very it's a very oh, yeah. fun hobby if you're passionate about music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any tentative plans for your future? Are you are you thinking maybe bring back Neon Indian or stick with Alan Paloma or kind of just testing the water, seeing what happens? I mean, hey, look, if this record falls on its face, then the next announcement that you'll hear from me is a new Neon Indian album. But uh, but I don't know. I'm 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 down for the slow burn, you know, it's like, it, it, uh, it's funny having two Spotify pages now and then like, you know, stressing out about like, how do you get the numbers to match? But I, more so than that, like, I mean, I'm also, I don't know, like I'm 35. I think there's a certain uh, attitude of like, uh, uh, well, you have to bleep this out, but like, get off the pot, you know, about like, yeah. if you want to be a filmmaker or do film, you know, so I really, the next thing that like, I just, I can't without any, I can't put any further delay on is just like, 
really kind of focusing more on that. I mean, I love directing the music videos. It was mm -hmm. great to get to do four this time, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, obviously two of them was, were, were very heavy collaborations with, um, you know, with, with Robert Beatty and, and, and Mickey Miles. Um, and I mean, as, as was the, the new Vista one with, with Johnny Woods. Um, but, uh, but it's like, every time I do it, I, I learn something new about it. And, um, and it's always, uh, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, a long time ago, I adopted the attitude that if I, if I didn't have time to build a directorial reel, um, because I was busy with music, then at the very least, I would build one on the label's dime, uh, and, uh, and get to direct the music videos. Um, so, you know, in, in my immediate future, I, I really want to do more stuff with that. Uh, I'd love to, you know, get some very modest first feature kind of off the ground. And my producer and I, my producer and I have been talking about that a lot. Um, so, uh, we'll see what happens, but at the very least there is, you know, there is an EP that I would like to put out, uh, sometime next year. Um, so, you know, we're just going to keep that, that Alan Palomo train, yeah. uh, a chugging along and, and just see where it takes us. Yeah. Exciting stuff. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate it. It was really fun talking to you. It's a great time. Oh, likewise. Likewise. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you.